Welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, coming to you from a hotel room by Niagara Falls with my wonderful wife, Lauren, uh, to celebrate a birthday weekend. But I could not leave you without a podcast because that's what I do around here. And today on the show, not one, but two amazing guests from the Interrupters, Amy Interrupter and uh, Kevin Bovina. Uh, this is a, a really fun episode. Two people that have had remarkably different journeys into the world of punk rock, but both equally fascinating uh, and equally as entertaining. You will find out in moments. But first, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page, facebook.com slash turnoutapunk, and an Instagram page at turnoutapunk on Instagram, all run by my brother and show producer, and the getter of guests, including this week's guests, Tristan Abraham. Tristan, I love you so much, buddy. Thank you so much for all your help. On this podcast, and that right there is uh, an endorsement enough that he's gotten this week's show. You know, he, he's the one who put it together. So thank you, Tristan, for doing that. Also, if you would like to find me on various forms of social media, I'm around at Left for Damien on on various platforms. You can also uh, subscribe to this podcast on your platform of choice. Rate it on your platform of choice. Write a review on your platform of choice, and tell all your friends. In the real world, no platform required for that. Tell all your friends about this podcast if you enjoy what we're doing here. Also, I got to say, my band this week, Fucked Up, has a brand new record, Dose Your Dreams, on the amazing merch records. We're going to have a bit of a special episode next week. Uh, I will tell you more about that at the end of the show and go into that there. But if you would like to listen to it, it is on all the streaming platforms that I'm sure a lot of you have. And if you don't use streaming platforms, go to a store and buy it. It looks super cool on vinyl. They they really knocked it out of the park. When I say they, I mean like I think Sandy and Mike did the layout um on it and and, and the art's incredible. It's it's a phenomenal release. Uh, <laughs> coming from a guy who plays on it. I'm saying it. It's good. You know, but I didn't write the song, so you know I'm allowed to do that. It's not super arrogant when I do it. Okay. Anyway, moving on to more of today's show. Today on the show, we have a incredible two-for-one guest extravaganza. Amy and Kevin from The Interrupters are on the program. This is a fun, fun conversation because it goes so many places. These are two people that have had incredibly different journeys to get where they are. But once again, as I said off the top, both are entertaining in their own ways. Kevin kind of like in that Mark Wahlberg rock star sense. I think I call it American Pie on the show, which is a little weird. That movie has nothing to do with what he experienced. More like that movie like Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg. Um, where he, uh, yeah, the problematic movie as well, but you know, it's kind of, uh, you'll see, you'll see, get to that part later on. Um, and also Amy, uh, is had a journey that equally is incredible kind of going through, you know, the major label ringer and then coming up the other side. Anyway, I'm not going to blather on anymore. I'm going to let you listen to the show. So sit back, relax and enjoy Amy and Kevin from the interrupters on turn out a punk. Amy, Kevin, thank you both so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank you for having, having us. Well, this is a, a, an awesome experience because we're just talking off air and we've got, you know, a lot of commonality, you know, Amy, yourself and myself and 
Kevin, yourself, and myself as well. We've got some we've got some stuff to get into, but before we get into any of it, I got to start this off the way I start them all off. But it's going to be kind of weird because there's two of you. So should we toss a coin to see who who goes first, or like do do one of you want to jump in first? Sure. Yeah. Let's just give it a go. Okay. So okay. So uh, Amy, Kevin. How'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? I think, well, for myself, it, it was almost like it, it all happened all, all at once. So I can't really remember the exact moment, but there was definitely a time. And it was it was that time when punk was booming in the mm-hmm. 90s. I remember I was, in, I was in junior high school and there were some kids that were in a band and I still remember the name of the band called Alvin and the Punk Amongst. And <laughs> there was an after school program called Rock Band where like basically it was like 20 kids that like weren't, I didn't have any like classical training in music, but got together to try to start bands. And this band, Alvin and the Punk Amongst, they were covering like Less Than Jake songs and Aquabat songs. And I was actually kind of introduced to ska first, although... At the time, I was really familiar with Green Day because they'd been all over the radio and all over MTV. And I, you know, I didn't really know what punk was until all of it started lining up and making sense. And I, so I guess it was right around middle school for me was um, was when I was introduced to punk. And Amy, how about yourself? How did you get in punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, I that's a great question. Um, same with Kevin. It kind of all just there was. I was, music has just been such a part of my life. I'm the youngest of four, four kids, and my older siblings were always turning me on to different different kinds of music. And their older friends were introducing me to all different kinds of music. But I think um, that in middle school, I got I got the first thing. I think the punk was Bleach. My boyfriend gave me a. A bleach cassette. Whoa! And so uh, was that before um, uh, Nevermind had come out, or after? Yeah, before. Whoa! That's awesome. That's like a, a heavy record. Yeah, and so, but then I got like in in uh, gosh, so much music in middle school. But in high school, I got I had a friend that had a car, and I didn't have a car, and he was like, "I'll take you wherever you want to go, but you have to listen to this music." And <laughs> And so, and it wasn't just like we could listen to music from destination A to destination B. He would make me, he would pull his truck over and make me listen to album after album after album (laughs) (laughs) and like sing every word and he's really getting into it. And those albums were Rancid, uh, Outcome the Wolves and Bad Religion, No Effects um, and uh, those and then so many more, but, uh, and Pixies, but he like, so when I was in high school, my friend, Nick, uh, actually we wrote a song about him on our last album, but he really, uh, turned me on to punk and, um, and, uh, and I really got into it in high school. It's amazing to kind of like, look at that, you know, that boom period of the mid nineties to late nineties uh, and just like how many bands today, were inspired by that like explosion, you know, like I myself came out of that same explosion that you guys came out of. Yeah. It was the first time that I'd ever, um, when I had heard outcome, the wolves, um, that was the, I cried when I heard it because 
I truly, for the first time, felt less alone in the world. And mm-hmm. I'm like, there's mm-hmm. music. So yes, I've heard Bleach, and yes, I've heard other like other other bands and other music. But I really felt that like Rancid, Bad Religion, No Effects. I really felt like these bands really felt like that's how I was feeling inside, and I hadn't felt that way before. It really changed my life. Mm-hmm. No, it's funny. Like I, you know, obviously not being of the generation to watch the Beatles play on TV for the first time or, or like, you know, Elvis or something. But I remember where I was when Rancid played on Saturday night live. Like that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That, and that's the kind of stuff that like, you know, we just finished up the warp tour, right? Yeah. And, uh, it was the very last cross country run of the warp tour. And then as it's ending, I keep thinking to myself, like, what are kids going to be talking about like in a hundred years, 50 years from now, like the warp tour, that was like the captured such a time. And I was just like, so grateful to be alive at that time. Cause I grew up going to warp tour and being able to go to one show that had like rancid and AFI and Pennywise and all those bands playing the same bill that went to so many cities. So like, I feel lucky that we got to be alive, like in that boom. And I, I find the same thing you find is a lot of bands and a lot of people a lot of our contemporaries that we're like touring with, it's, it's, they, they came from the same place we did. And I have to say, I have to, I have to interject here. I, it's actually before sixth grade when I was eight is when I got my first cassette that I ever bought was Joan Jett. So that was like, Joan Jett was like the sound of my soul at eight. <laughs> yeah. And, and truly she's someone who was punk before there was punk. Yeah. And if it wasn't for like for her, like I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing for sure. Like I yeah. love her and I, um, she was my, is a huge inspiration. Um, and, and, and it, it all throughout my childhood. So I didn't mention like one of the biggest influences of my life I <laughs> and the earliest. So yeah. It's, and also you think about Joan Jett, like she produced the germ, she produced bikini kill. Like that's someone that, had her finger on the pulse like the whole way through of cool music. Totally. hundred percent. And I just, I just met her on the work tour actually. Oh, well that was that. Um, well, how long ago was that? That was just like three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. That's amazing. I met her and I, um, I gave her a hug and I started crying. Um, I didn't realize I was going to like break down like that, but like, I just, I just, because of her, I literally am able to do what I do. And it just mm-hmm. such gratitude. I'm just so grateful for her in the world and for breaking down so many doors um, mm-hmm. so that I can walk through them. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. she's just done so much for women in punk. And I just love her. So anyway, I cried. And she gave me the biggest, longest hug. And she, I, she's, you know, they say, what do they say about like, meeting your heroes? Don't meet your heroes that let yeah, you down. Yeah, don't meet your heroes let you down. Like, that's not the case here. Like, I met her. She's so sweet and so kind. And. Uh, I just love her. Well, that you know, and it's amazing to hear that because I'd always kind of hoped that. And like, you know, judging from the fact that, like, once again, here's someone that's like cool with Darby Crash and like also cool with like Toby Vale, you know, like so she's got to be down to earth, you know. You'd hope so to hear that and and have it ring true is is awesome. Yeah, totally. And and also like that, just the way she was, like from my perspective, is just a testament to like why she has had the career she's had and the longevity she's had. I mean, like she was out there, her tour met up with the Warped Tour. She just did one date on Warped, but like she's still out there doing like so many dates every year and just killing it. And like, it's so inspiring to see that. And like when she went into like, 
you know, I love rock and roll or like Crimson and Clover, the whole crowd, like it's, it's, you could feel it. Like, and that, that's a testament to the power of music also, I think. Yeah. And also like talk about an artist, like who, who else can go from playing like a casino one night to a bunch of middle-aged people to the warp tour the next day and still rock that crowd? Oh, for totally. sure. Yeah. That's, that's goals right there. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like that is definitely, you know, you get the best of all worlds. You get the all you can eat buffets and the hotels of a casino and oh, yeah. the energy of the warp tour. For sure. She's just so cool. It doesn't matter where she's at. She's just cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, Freaks and Geeks soundtrack, you know, like every, you know, just throughout pop culture, there's always a cool connection to Joan Jett somehow. Yeah. She was the first cassette that I, I took my bike down to the store, the record store, and I had some a little bit of money and it was my very first music I ever bought. And wow. and it was on sale, like, in, or, you know, it was on the front by the cash, cash, cash register. And I was like, what do you think of this? And the guy was like, oh, you should get that. Really <laughs> cool. And then I took my tape and I drove home on my bike and I, that changed my life. <laughs> oh my God. That's so much better than my, my first music purchase story. And, and, and the thing is, I mean, just to continue with that is that I had a really shitty stepdad and, and, um, and he, uh, he was like, oh, what do you, what makes her happy? And like, what does she like? And that was listening to my Joan Jett tape. And so anytime he was in a mood or I did something he didn't like, he would take away my Joan Jet tape as punishment. Oh, and man. so I would sing every word to the songs as loud as I could and sing it like, sing it uh, as much like Joan Jet as I possibly could at eight <laughs> years old and do like air guitar in the mirror until he would come in and like yell at me or whatever. But I'm like, you can take away my tape, but you can never take my soul. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. That I st- I knew I wanted to sing from basically that around that age. So yeah, yeah. No, it's it's amazing when you know you think about the impact that she can have on someone like so young. And like, here's another cool connection for Joan Jet, like inspiring you on your journey. Um, but Kevin, you opened that door. What was your first music purchase? Oh oh dear. Okay. Well, <laughs> the lines are blurry, but I'm pretty sure it was the Blue Boys to Men album on cd with like end of the road on it but you know what i stand by yeah is that good songs all right and you know it was definitely of that time but the first like cassette i bought i remember was i need Kamozi, here comes the hot stepper and <laughs> i didn't know it at the time but that was like my intro to the world of reggae you know and just like and and just i mean it's it's funny because like i ended up way down the line obviously like working with jimmy cliff but like i've always had an affinity for reggae and yeah. for like ska music yeah. and and just all that and it's so funny that Ani Kamozi was my uh, was my intro to that but that was a huge hit at the time too and and uh, yeah still living like that it's so good <laughs> I just remember the video too like the video wasn't it like from uh, like Pret to Porte like Ready to Wear the Isaac Masarahi documentary. I don't remember the video, no, but 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 you might be right. Was but... that the same time as Informa? No, that was that was good, but that was okay. So <laughs> that's that like was... our national anthem. You realize? <laughs> I know. That's I mean that's Canadian royalty right there. That exa- that's in a pre-Drake world, that was Canadian success in music, especially in rap and hip hop or or reggae or dance hall. Like that what was are... the high watermark. What's going on with him? Like whatever happened to him? Snow's still around. Like he, he, that was like, I gotta say, you know, 
that was a very legit dude. Like that song was not being sung from a fantasy perspective. Like that was lived experience. Um, so, That's so cool. yeah, like he, he kind of grew up in a, in a rough situation and, and, you know, kind of always kept, he never really left and, and kind of worked with people from, you know, his neighborhood. He had a bunch of more minor kind of hits in Canada, but still like did really well. And I would have said was one of the bigger artists here. And then, you know, Drake came out and changed everyone's perspective on what a big Canadian artist is. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I like that song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so do I. That stands up. I, and I, and you know, once again, it's, it is, uh, you know, like it is, uh, it, it is from lived experience from what I've been told. Nice. Well, that's um, good to hear. Amy, did you kind of, what brought you to that record store that day? Did you grow up like obviously stepfather, being terrible aside, did you grow up in a house with music kind of being played? Like what brought you to that record store that day? Um, just to get out of the house. (laughs) No. Um, uh, my mom, uh, she's a Sicilian and Mm -hmm. my grandma on my mom's side, my grandma, my, my mom Sicilian. And my mom was, my grandma made my mom, and I guess all of the Sicilian Italian moms made their kids learn accordion, I guess. And my mom played accordion from a very, very early age. So there, she was she was always playing the accordion in the house and and always playing like show songs and like a court like Dean um, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and um, different like different you know Italian classics on the accordion, and we'd all sing along. And we didn't watch a lot of TV. We didn't really have much entertainment but but that so i think that probably had an influence on me as well so did you play music at all early on other than singing yeah i mean i've i've played guitar and keys and i played the djembe <laughs> in in my in in i had some uh, in a chapter of my life for a brief moment um <laughs> Uh, but I no, you know, I, I prefer to write, write on the guitar and write on the key, on the, on the keys and the piano. I love writing on the piano. That's my very favorite. Um, but I don't perform with the guitar or, or the piano, mm-hmm. but maybe one day, but for now I, I just like writing with those things. And what about you, Kevin? What was like, you know, other, like what brought, were you, did you grow up in a music household? Like what brought you to, to boys to men at that point? Like, were you just kind of discovering it on radio yourself? I think so. Yeah. It was probably that or like MTV or something, you know, my, uh, my family was very musical. Like my dad, um, my grandfather is a, it was a really successful, like jazz, big band jazz musician. He played in the MGM orchestra and, wow. um, he's playing like saxophone and clarinet and a lot of those old movies. Um, you know, uh, and, um, did he cut and, records too, or is he just uh, mainly an orchestra player? You know but he had his own band. He had a, he, he did a lot of different stuff, but he definitely has records. And it's so funny because, you know, in our years of van touring, yeah. that was the only thing we can agree on in the van was our grandpa's record because he's <laughs> instrumental and it's kind of like Dixielandish big band, but it's so, it, I don't know. It was really great. And he was so, so talented from a super young age. And he's also... A, and he played on Frank Sinatra. Yeah, he played. Whoa. He's actually on the sax on One for My Baby, One for the Road. And, uh, you know, he he's he, he was on a lot of records and he made his own records. And um, So he's got credits. He's like a really established musician. Yeah, 
really established. He passed away when I was in the fourth grade, but he was like, he was definitely like that influence, you know, went into my father, who's a, also a horn player. He plays trumpet and trombone. But, but the thing about my dad is he was also an engineer, like a recording engineer. So he used to like mix songs and mix promos for TV and stuff. So growing up, he was always had like, you know, musicians in the house and he had a little studio downstairs where he was like, you know, producing music. So that exposed me and my brothers to it at a really young age. And I think, you know, that's that's definitely why we started picking up instruments as early as we did. Yeah. Like, were you guys just kind of picking up on your on your own or were you like or is he teaching you or did you have formal lessons? No, he never forced it on us, but he always yeah. made sure instruments around. And it was one of those things where like. I learned how to play the drums and, you know, the twins were always like kind of like banging around on instruments, but it wasn't until that rock band program I was telling you about mm -hmm. earlier, where like I started a band with, with my two really good friends. We were called the void and we were kind of like a grunge band. And, um, and, and that was like my first uh, like gigging, you know, like I played drums. There's a, there's an all ages club in the Valley where we grew up called the Cobalt Cafe. And, you know, I booked my, I played my first show at the Cobalt Cafe in like the seventh grade and like, you know, $5 with a flyer kind of a, kind of a deal. And, um, and it's so funny because like no fantasy, like my dad had to load the drums in his car, <laughs> drive me there and, and the whole thing. But definitely. We've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah. So the, the way, but it really like when I moved to guitar was probably in like the seventh grade because like, I just thought the dudes that played guitar i don't know i just felt like i already knew how to play even before i did so like i just watched the all the guys in that in like the other bands that would play and i kind of like copied their hand moves and like you know learned some green day songs and then that's when my brother moved to drums jesse and then you know the only instrument left was bass so justin picked up a bass and that was kind of like when we picked our instruments we were super young and then we just started trying to learn green day songs and stuff and uh and then it kind of went from there and then discovering what they listened to and like just kind of like delving into that and like also at, at this time th there was such a great influx of like these amazing punk compilations that like yep. uh, maybe i'm like mm -hmm. kind of, I don't see that anymore like the punkaramas and like the yep. hopelessly devoted to use and like you know the yeah. i forgot i just have to interrupt because i forgot about like all those the punk i got introduced to punk a, a in those days when i first got introduced to punk through a lot of those compilations the punkaramas yeah. and and like the fat, yeah, fat records for fat people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and and Green Day, like those are big, big, big influences that I forgot to mention. But yeah, go ahead. So that's <laughs> another way you could just buy one CD and discover twelve bands. You know what I mean? It's like the first time I heard the Descendants was actually through a Fat Records compilation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So kind of that kind of stuff. No, those comps were essential, and they were also affordable at a time when music, especially independent music, was kind of price gouged by the by the major chain stores in a lot of places like certainly in toronto oh yeah i yeah see i i don't it's weird because also being from la like the epitaph like the punkaramas and stuff that was a very like if you had a skateboard and you had punkarama too like you were good to go that like <laughs> <laughs> no those comps and i think also you know, I Quebec was a very different place too, because Quebec those things actually charted like in the mainstream charts. Oh wow! Whoa. There's it was crazy how popular sort of the 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 sound of the time got in Quebec. Wow. Well, I'm I was uh, in Montana at the time, so it's kind of like all right, you know, on the border <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Canada. We say a in Montana. <laughs> 
<laughs> and isn't it like what's um what's the guy from Pearl Jam's hardcore band? Direct Diction, right? They're from Montana. Oh, oh really? Oh I yeah. Missoula, Missoula, that's where I'm I'm from, kind of. Yeah. Like, half, half my childhood in Missoula and half of it in uh building. So but yeah, Missoula I think is where he's from. What was what was the scene like around you at that time? Like I guess it would be kind of different than you know, like, you know, what was happening in Los Angeles? Like, was there like a local all ages venue type scene going on? Yeah, there was a place called Jay's Upstairs and it was awesome. I actually, I saw Say Ferris there at this little punk club, like 200 people. And she was like, so cool. Like, I just thought she was the coolest chick I've ever seen. Like, mm-hmm. it was cool. And, um, the, uh, what else? Oh, and I saw, um, I saw uh, the, the specials. Whoa! And um, and I it was so funny because I didn't know the word like I didn't know the word uh, ska uh, back then. Yeah. In high school, and I saw the specials at this all ages club, and I um, cried. I just was crying my eyes out because I'm like, this is the kind of music I want to make. This is so good. <laughs> Like, why doesn't everybody know about this? Like, but that changed my life too. Like, seeing the specials uh, in a, in high school. So, and it's weird because we didn't know each other yet, yeah. obviously. But like, I saw the specials on that same tour. There was like the guilty till proven innocent um, record they made. So it was like, it, it's pretty interesting that like we both caught them around the same time. And um, I actually had got a set list signed by all of them. And um, I can't find it. But, you know, what's funny is through doing this band, we've actually gotten to, like, know those guys. Like, we know Lin Bao. We know Horace. Horace is a huge supporter of ours, and he's, and he's so awesome. And I would love to be able to, like, dig up that set list and, like, show them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's amazing when, you know, like, I think that's the biggest thrill is, like, when all of a sudden your your heroes are peers, like, one day. Yeah. It's still hard to use the word peer, and, but, Yeah. But like, you know, like, that's the thing is like, uh, at the end of the day, like, you know, w- when you're, when you're playing these venues with these bands and you're like meeting these people and you're like, wow, like uh, you, it almost feels like you're, you're part of the, part of the club at that point when they're coming to see you and they're like, you know, they're like, as you say, like Horace is a supporter. Like how sick is that? It's, it's incredible. Like, uh, and, and he's just the coolest. And, um, you know, a lot of the bands from the two-tone era have been very supportive of us and we, we've done some shows with dave wakelin and the english beat and um they've taken us on tour um rhoda from the body snatchers we actually backed her at a private show in la one time she's so sweet yeah and then just in like you know meeting i got to tour with the selector um last summer and you know pauline was saying that they were you know fans of the interrupters so just like it, it is pretty mind-blowing to to have the blessing of those bands you know Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like it must feel like, well, no, I, yeah, like it, it does. It, it, it feels like you're being, uh, you know, as I say, brought into a club, but also that like, you know, you, you're, you're being truthful to the, the legacy that came before you. Yeah, sure. Um, where did you kind of, uh, both for, like go for, you know, local bands? Like what were some of the local bands that you remember seeing at the time that, that, you know, like, it could be bigger bands as well, but even, but more just sort of local stuff that was exciting to you. Okay. So there was a band. That's the thing is like, you look up to like the people, like a friend of a friend. Like I remember there was a band 
growing up that my sister was friends with called Government Cheese. And, you know, they were they were friends with Strung Out and they got to open for Strung Out one time, you know, and like <laughs> they were like super cool. And then like there was another band in that same scene called Jacuzzi Fiend that we thought were super cool. And, uh, you know, also, you know, um, th- there's another band from the Valley called Kill Radio. You know, um, I'm not sure if you know them, but. They were from like probably early 2000s. They put out a record on Columbia, but great songwriting, political punk and like really fun kind of dancey stuff. And like definitely in my formative years of like playing, they were a band that kind of I looked up to as far as like a wild stage show. Yeah, they they might have had a seven inch before that Columbia record, right? Yeah, well, you know, I think they might have done something with AF records, too. Like they they were also self-released before that. Like they put out like, you know. They would like spray paint their CDs and kind of get out yeah. there. Yeah, they were definitely out there, but um, but yeah, they they were um, yeah, great songs. How about you, Amy? What were some of the local bands that you remember? Um, well, I the biggest music that came that that came through Missoula was like that that what, what the biggest music is music that came to Missoula. Yeah, yeah. So small, and there's a lot of like jam bands it's a college town and there's a lot of like jimbes and like there's <laughs> <laughs> and ponchos and like there's a lot of jamming and a lot of like funk and like and the thing is is that a lot of what was happening at the, at the time um around me was a lot of like um there's a lot of grateful deadheads and mm-hmm. and um and uh what's the other uh fish fish yeah and um and i had a band and i was like you know, I'm like, we gotta be more like the specials. We gotta be more like rancid and bad religion. And we gotta be like, we gotta be punk, but we gotta be like, like the specials and the clash and like the police. And like, I was trying to like do this thing. And they were like, it was just, they were like, wanted to be more like funky or like grateful. That <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was really, really frustrating for me. And we just had different, different, um, different visions, I guess, like the different bands that I had and different music musicians that I work with. Um, but, uh, anyway, so I was doing a show and I was actually a DJ at the college radio station and I would play like my band. We were called Amoeba (laughs) (laughs) and I, I got, I got a, I got a job at the radio station there so that I, just so that I could play our band. Um, and, um, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was whatever, but, uh, so that's a great move though, to play your own band on the radio. I like. That is a yeah. that is a good a good promotion tactic. Had to, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but the thing is, is that um, the the guys in the band, like they they wanted to go to college, and like I I wanted to like I wanted to go to LA and just pursue music, and and so I was just kind of like depressed, and I was like, I, I can't find anyone to move to LA with me, and I can't find anyone to make the music I want to make, and this is like, really frustrating. And then these guys from this band called The Line from. Uh, Southern California, they um, saw me performing at this like little club, and they were like, "Hey, we're playing the show. You can come check our band out." So I checked their band out. Long story short, they were like, "You should come to LA. We're in a punk band. We're uh, I think they were on Volcom Records. They had something to do with Volcom, but they were a punk band called The Line, and they basically um, helped me move to uh, to California and and." Um, I, I stayed with them for like a week. It didn't really work out. And I ended up 
finding musicians and in Hollywood actually, but long story short. Yeah. This band called the line, they're rad and they, they helped get me out of Montana. Was before that moment, were you planning on music as a career at all? Yes. My whole, since I was eight years old, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. I've been, I've been writing songs. I've been writing songs since I could, in fact, before I could write, before I could actually learn, knew how to write, uh, write, read and write. I wanted to write. I wanted to be a, Song. I was always singing songs, and I um I've always I've always wanted to be a singer and and write songs. Mm. And you know the jam band thing. There's a secret connection that exists very strongly between punk and jam band music. So, you know, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to that jam band stuff. I I agree. I agree. But at the time, it was it yeah. was like I just wanted to do you know. I just, I just really wanted to do a different thing than what was happening. And Absolutely. Um, I'm so, glad, so glad I came to LA and I'm so glad that I found the interrupters that we have the interrupters because it truly is the band I've been looking for my whole life. What were the telecasters about Kevin? Like what was that band's vibe? Oh, oh we were like, uh, we were about 18 packs of Bud Light and uh, <laughs> Uh, no, we were like a rock reggae band. So we were like, it, we were very influenced by like the police, but also by power pop bands, you know, like the jam and like we, but we kind of, it was, you know, looking back on it, we were young and it was, we were throwing too many ingredients in the dish, you know, we were mm -hmm. over it. And also it was me and my two brothers and then another set of brothers. So you have two sets of brothers and they're like, the, sorry, this is great. Uh, she, she said it was great. And I think. <laughs> We made it. We made two records. The second one actually didn't ever come out, but um, and I stand by it, and I love those, and I'm still best friends with those guys, and and we're still, you know, we still make music together in other capacities and stuff. They have a really cool studio, but it was one of those things that like we could never get the five of us to go all in on, like mm -hmm. the way we all in with the interrupters, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, and it was and it was a lot of fun. And if it wasn't for that band and the first record we made, we wouldn't have met Amy on that tour. She wouldn't have heard that record, and like. You know, we wouldn't have had that connection. So, like, you know, it was it was definitely uh, an integral part of um, all of this coming together. Who put out that first record? Did you guys self release it, or was it, did a label put that out? We self released it. We made up a rec uh, a record label called Roach Collection. <laughs> Thought it sounded legit, and we used to have like our little like uh, you know an ashtray with all of our roaches in it. And one day we're like. Like, what are we going to call the record label? And it's like, oh, how about Roach Collection? So, yeah, that's, uh, it was, it was pretty I, did, funny. I just learned that. That's something that I didn't know. Yeah. yeah, like, if you're not using that name anymore, I think I can put that name to good use these days. Yeah, take it. <laughs> Talk to the singer of the band, but I'm yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, And where, where did you guys meet on that first tour? In Central California. So, it was a really interesting... Um, the way we met was like it was Sugar Ray and the Dirty Heads were doing a summer tour and Amy was the opening act and then we came on the shows like the California shows as the first of four so we like kind of joined and as you know like from touring like we joined halfway through the tour right so mm -hmm. everyone are together and it was all established so we come in but honestly like the the first moment that I started talking to Amy, we immediately clicked. And like, I remember she watched our sound check and then we watched her set and it was just kind of like a, we kind of felt like we were like soul, soul friends that had known each other already for a long time, you know?
And Amy, you must have had like probably one of the most, you know, incredible runs through that music industry at first, like arriving in LA, like, yeah, I guess you don't have to go through all the details of that sort of experience, but what was that like kind of going from, you know, Missoula, Montana to, to Los Angeles and then kind of getting, you know, into this music industry? Um, it was crazy. Uh, I, I didn't know anybody. Um, and I, I just basically, I, I, the only thing I knew, I didn't know anybody in Los Angeles. Um, and that band, the line, they lived in, um, Orange County. So, but I was like, I want to live in Hollywood. Like I want to be, you know, where, um, I just want to live in Hollywood. That's, I knew that I just wanted to live in Hollywood. So I didn't know anything about Hollywood and I didn't know anybody in Hollywood, but I knew the Hollywood sign. So I figured out like how to get to the Hollywood sign and I drove myself there and then I just like parked my car and I was like, okay, well, that's now I'm in Hollywood. Like, you know, okay, that's step one. So then I called actually the bar, um, of the bar that I had met the band, the line in. And I was like, Hey, you know, those dudes I met in the bar, like I actually went to LA or I went to California with them. And I liked like, um, I I don't know anybody. Do you like know anybody? Uh, you seem like you know people in LA. And he was like, actually, I have a friend there. And he's like, let me call him. So he called him and he's like, there's a room for rent in their house. And it just so happened to be on the same street that I was standing on. And wow. I, he's like, I said to just go over and knock on the door. And I like literally walked like a block and knocked on the door. And I was like, Hey, you, do you have a room for rent? And he, he was like, yeah. 300 bucks a month. And I was like, awesome. I got a job waiting tables. And then what I did was I was like, okay, well I asked around and I was like, where do, where's their music? You know? And they're like sunset strip. So I, every single night after work or whenever I wasn't working, I would hang out in the sunset strip outside the Roxy or the Viper room or the whiskey. And I would just ask people if they wanted to start a band with me. <laughs> 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 and um people would some people would you know talk to me but i met you know that's how i made friends and i met musicians and um and uh um yeah that's pretty much and so like i this one particular night i i said hey does anyone have a band or a cigarette and this guy walked up to me he's like i actually have uh, a cigarette and i'm in a band we're looking for a singer and that was a band called no motive and they're this punk band and um we did some songs together and, but they were already signed um to their label and uh long story short we played a couple shows i got a i got a record deal and um and the label only wanted me as a solo artist and not with the band so i ended up signing as a solo artist which I, I actually really regret um, <laughs> because I love, I've always been in bands and I love being in bands and being a solo artist is really hard and a lot of pressure mm. and uh, anxiety. So I'm happy once again to be in the interrupters where we're like a, a happy family. We could share the anxiety. We can share the anxiety. <laughs> well, like, you know, the clash described it as being a gang and like there is safety in numbers. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, you were signed to Electra too, right? Yes. And the record never came out. I worked on it for a couple of years. I worked with all different kinds of producers, Mark Ronson, um, 
he had done like Lily Allen and Amy Winehouse and we did a few songs together and I worked with Don Gilmore. He did Lincoln Park and, and the record was kind of all over the place. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I was just trying to find my sound and I was very experimental and, um, and it was, ex yeah, experimental, I guess is the word, <laughs> but, uh, but you know what? It didn't come out. I'm glad it didn't come out. Um, because it was kind of all over the place, but whatever. I still, I learned a lot. I worked with a lot of producers and, 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 um, I learned a lot about myself and it was kind of messy back then. I drank heavy in those days. <laughs> so it was kind of a blur, but I, I did learn a lot. Well, and you also are now forever label mates in capacity, in some capacity with the MC5, the Doors, and of course the Stooges. Yeah, well, that's right. So it always comes back to the Stooges. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, sorry, go we on. Lucky, we were lucky enough to play uh, the punk rock bowling last year, or 2017, and Iggy Pop was headlining on the day we played. So we, we were just in awe watching him exude literally 100% of his energy on stage. And I don't know his exact age, but I don't think it matters because yeah. he still put all of us to shame. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So much energy, so much heart. It's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we got to open for him one time, and I'm like, no matter what, we won't beat them in songs, but we'll beat them in energy. And then they came out and demolished us. <laughs> I know. You know, he came out beating his chest like like a like a wild gorilla or something. And I was like, this is intense. And he literally played. It's like a war cry. Yeah, it's like a so war rad. cry. He played for over an hour, and then, like, it was so crazy. He definitely gave it his all because he was he could barely get off stage at the end of it. Like Henry Rollins was literally carrying him off stage, which is another punk rock like moment that I got to witness that we were like yeah. kind of in awe. Oh, that's another in early inspiration. I forgot to mention. I feel like there's so many, so many punk artists that inspired me, but that was in my early, in my high school years that, yeah, I could be, I could spend hours telling you, but yes, Henry Rollins. You know, it's, and it's amazing. Cause like, you know, people kind of bemoan major labels, especially in punk rock and things like that. But like, Look at the outreach some of these bands had to like hit you in Montana. Like, say Ferris was on a major label. Like, that's probably why they were out there. Specials were on a major label on that record, I believe, again, too. And, you know, and, and Rollins, like, Rollins had incredible reach. Like, Liar won him a Grammy, was or nominated for a Grammy at least. Yeah. And, and honestly, I look at it as like, I mean, we're on an independent label, probably the best independent label of all times, in my opinion. I might be a little biased, but <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't feel like, I don't know. I don't really, I guess maybe at a different time, I wasn't there in that time when there was the talk of like, oh, it is being on a major label, this or that. But it, it, I, I think if your music could reach people, however it reaches people, as long as you're staying true to yourself and telling your truth, you know, like it doesn't matter how it gets out there. I mean, but that's just my opinion. And I'm not, I definitely can't speak on behalf of like everybody that I'm associated with, but, uh, but yeah, because we got a lot of friends on major labels and a lot of our mm -hmm. favorite bands. You know, at the end of the day, um, we're all we're all just we're out here just trying to sing our tunes. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, and if you can get anyone to pay you to do that, more power to you because it is it's a miracle that someone's willing to do it for me. Yeah, you know, we're all so lucky to be able to like. I mean, that was the thing. And going back to something you asked earlier in the podcast, you said something like, when did you know you wanted to like sing for a living or make music for a yeah. living? 
at the time we made those decisions, we didn't realize like the capacity and the ramifications of that kind of a commitment. Like it's not until you're like living out on your own and you're like, Oh, oh. rent's due in like three <laughs> yeah. days. I have no money. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. like, and, and all those, you know, so many of those months of like, how am I going to do this? Like, I have nothing to fall back on. Like, what am I doing? And all the odd jobs you're picking up and all the, you know, and, and it makes you really question yourself. And, and, you know, interrupters has had, you know, we've been super fortunate in the time we've been a band. And, um, and it's still like, it's so funny because people are like, you're a brand new band. And, and in some respects, we definitely are a brand new band, but we've also been doing this band for seven years. So like you only see the top of the iceberg and you don't see all the stuff that kind of like went into it. And that's just this band. All of us as individuals have been doing music our whole lives. So everything was kind of leading up to this point. And there's so much that kind of like goes in to it. It's almost like, a beautiful like naivety or a beautiful almost stupidity to think like I'm just gonna play music. I'm gonna survive for the rest of my life. You know, it's mm-hmm. really you have to really live in the moment to think like that. So I think it's that's still kind of, crazy. It's, it's totally insane. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 like amazing to get to do, but then also when you're doing it, you're like, oh, this is the best long term plan. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. you, when you especially when you get older and people start like buying houses and you know like. The 401k. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's when you, it's when you have your friends that are like, you know, electricians and things like that, that are able to kind of like take their family to Disney world that you're like, Ooh, maybe being the coolest dad isn't the best. Yeah. You're like, but I get free dinner sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can, get, I can get you into any all ages show you want. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so when you when you both first met, when the when you know your kind of careers collided, was it like instantaneously you knew you wanted to do music together, or was that something that kind of like took a feeling out process too? I mean, a hundred percent. We we exchanged our numbers right then, and you know, at that time, Amy touring is a solo artist, and I'm I'm also like aside from being like in bands my whole life, I'm an engineer. And I produce and I mix people. So, like, I wanted to do some songs with her a- as, like, a producer and and a co-writer. So we started writing songs together. And it seriously, probably about a year of that, maybe even less than a year of that before it just turned into The Interrupters. Because it already felt like a band. So might as well give it a name and just call it what it is, you know? It was totally a band. Early on, did you guys have different sounds? Or was it, like, right away you guys were like, we want to do... Um, Scott, like we want to do this band that, you know, Amy, as you said, you've been wanting to do since you saw the specials. Yeah. Well, I had, um, I had just done an unplugged acoustic album. And when I look back on it, it's just like, I'm just looking for my band. (laughs) (laughs) Like I produced this album or co-produced this album. And um, I just wanted to do an unplugged um, version of, of a bunch of songs that I had, um, that I had written. And I was like, you know what? I don't have a, a band, but I'm just going to do an unplugged album and, um, acoustic album and just get the songs out there because, um, because, mm-hmm. and so that's what I was, tu- that's what I was, um, that unplugged album is what I was touring with, with Sugar Ray and the Dirty Heads when I met Kevin and I was just like, so wanted to be in a band. And so, when I met Kevin, you know, I was like, well, let's, 
um, let's write songs together. Um, not thinking that we were going to start a band or anything, but just to write songs together. Um, and um, the first song we wrote together was Be Easy On You, or Easy On You. I mean, it's called yeah, Easy On You. And um, the second song was Gave, gave you, you Everything. So the first song we ever wrote together was actually on our first record. Mm-hmm. It ended uh, on on there and then actually the second song we ever wrote together ended up being on this most current record fight the good fight which is interesting because like you know how it is you write a song and sometimes you don't always have a home for it so this one was sitting around for eight years so we had had these songs and i was just like you know in the middle of this process i was just like i the thought of me being a solo artist like i'm just done i can't mm-hmm. do it anymore. And uh, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to be in a band. I want to start a band. Let's, you know, get a band. And then... Yeah, and and so and the, it's going back to what you said about, like, the sound is, like... So that record she was touring that I heard, that was my first exposure to her. And, and it was unplugged acoustic, but it also had this, like, very, like, California, almost, like, reggae rock influence that, like, kind of like what we were doing with Telecaster. So we kind of clicked on that. But then come to find out we had a lot of the same musical influences. And yeah, and and it was like, you know, when we started writing together, we did what was almost going to be her next solo record. So we had a collection of songs, maybe like 10 songs. And it it was kind of all over the map. There was a little bit of there was a little bit of punk rock. There was a little bit of dance hall. There was a little bit of like that rock reggae thing. And then there was a little bit of like a kind of more up tempo ska kind of rock steady thing. And that was the kind of stuff that was the most fun to play. So we actually, when we came up with the band name Interrupters, that helped because it encompassed like the sound of what we were kind of doing. Mm-hmm. And then we really took all that work we had done up until that point, And we just kind of, we kind of shut the vault on that. And we started completely fresh yep. with this like new kind of outlook of like, we can do this and keep it in this tempo and keep it in this vibe and just do this one thing. Rather yep. than try to make a, you know, because making a record that's all over the place is cool. And, you know, we love, this is the thing is we love so many different genres and so many different styles and we love to bring them in. But sometimes it's hard for like a listener to digest all that in one sitting. So like, and it was, and it was hard for us to like kind of have our identity as a band of like who we are. So we have this one rock steady song and we got this one kind of dance hall song. We got this one punk song. Well, how about we just take all of these songs and, and put them to this vibe that we're really feeling right now. And that's our first record. Yeah, like you're right because it's, it's it's when you find that sound that like you know fits with what you want to do. Like it's I think it's also being the generation that came listening came up listening to Outcome the Wolves, and it's like that record is like you know like all over the map style wise and things like that. And it's like yeah, that worked for them. But once you find the sound that works for your band, because I was the same way. Like I always wanted to do bands that were something of everything, and then you know I wound up doing fucked up, which is nothing I wanted to do. but you found your thing and that's the thing it's almost like going into a restaurant that has one of those menus and you're like there's so many choices on here wrong one but you know going back to all this outcome the wolves talk that was the other big integral part of like the formation of our band at the time we were working together you know i'm i'm i was playing in the transplants i i'm a hired kind of like musician for them i'm i'm their touring bass player I've, i've been their touring keyboard player i've engineered um the last couple of their releases and um so I've had a relationship with Tim Armstrong since 2005, like that, you know, we're just making music together, engineering for him. For how projects did, he sorry, how did that come about? Like, how did you meet him or how did that first? Because like, he's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty tight knit group. So the, the guys that I played in the Telecasters with, 
before the Telecasters, we had another band and the guitar player of that band ended up quitting and going into like artist management. Okay. And he knew somebody that worked for their management company. And he goes, yeah, the transplants are looking for a keyboard player. And, and, uh, he goes, well, I know the the guy because I was a big fan of, of the, they only had one record out at the time. And I remember I was such a fan of that first record and he knew I was. So he got me an audition and I showed up and I met Tim and um, he, you know, just talked to him for like maybe like 15 minutes and played a little keyboard. And he was just kind of like, all right, you're the guy. So um, <laughs> from then on, you know, I went straight on the warp tour with them after that in 2005. So I was, you know, I was fresh out of high school and it, years old touring with the transplants it was pretty uh it was you know it was it was a for sure like throwing me to the wolves in a but i held my own and i think in a good way and we definitely forged a relationship that we've still got to this day and he's produced all of our records and he's mm-hmm. like the fifth interrupter. he's he's our dude you know mm-hmm. so yeah going back to like when we started the interrupters I had been doing a lot of stuff with Tim and he also at the same time had heard all the stuff I'd been writing with Amy because just through hanging out, like he's like, Oh, what else are you working on? And I'd be like, Oh, check out this song I just wrote with this girl. And you know, he heard it. He goes, I love that. He goes, you know, so it's, you guys are writing together and he's such a great songwriter as we all know. And you know, he goes, well, she, if she's down, I'd love to write a song with her too. So I was like, are you kidding? Um, She would be honored. I'm sure. So got the two of them in the studio together and they wrote a couple songs for this record. And then when we when we decided we wanted to start the Interrupters, he was like, "Okay, if you guys, if it's the four of you guys, like the twins, Kevin and, and Amy, and you're going to start this band, the Interrupters, I will produce you, and we'll put it out on Hellcat." And, and like, we were just like so blo- blown away. By- <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And also, like, I had never been produced before. Like, I didn't know, like. You know, we got in the studio with him and it was just like, it was like game time. And like in two days, we we recorded the first record. It was crazy. Like we had, we wrote all those songs in such a short amount of time. And it was such a, it we was, didn't overthink it. We didn't overthink it. It was like the first time in my life I never overthought. Yeah. It, you know? mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. We didn't attempt to because it was so exciting and just the opportunity that was in front of us. It was, it was, it was really special. And like, yeah. even when I listen back to that record, I'm like, wow, I could still hear the urgency and the anxiety and just yeah. all of that, all the, you know. And just... it was everything that, like, you know, everything all of us had really ever wanted, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like punk, like, punk and ska truly is, like, if you look at, like, what we've always wanted to do, it's, like, to find each other and to do yeah. this music and to have Tim produce us literally is an actual dream come true. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, all the roads it's led all here. all the roads led <laughs> <laughs> well and it's like he and and like that band i don't think really gets the credit they deserve for being the songwriters they are because like think of those first three records that was like a three-year span they put out like 70 songs that are all killer yeah I, it is and you know that's the other thing is we getting to spend time in the studio with him of course we're always like so like what was like let's go <laughs> he's like oh we did let's go in two weeks we're like yeah. what Oh my gosh, that album, it took you two weeks for to make something that's going to live forever. Yeah. It still stands up on its own to this day. Like, And then not to mention Out Come the Wolves, which, you know, like another, I mean, probably one of the best punk rock records of all time. Yeah. Like, hands down, you know. So, so yeah, getting to like get, actually be in a studio with Tim Armstrong has been just, it's been, it's uh, such an amazing learning experience, but also such an honor. But also, yeah. like, it's just, I couldn't picture it any other way for our band. Though, I, you know? I know. Yeah, we can't. 
I'm still pinching myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's he really he's like my hero, and to work with him is is an honor. Well, obviously, by the time you guys wound up actually working with them, you had been like writing with them, and 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 you know, and like you know, and Kevin been touring with them, but like coming out of high school, being on the Warp Tour, being in a you know one of your favorite bands, what was that like? as far as headspace goes, you know, like I couldn't imagine trying to process that. You know what, dude, I was so like afraid of like just being in the way or saying the <laughs> thing or just like, I kept to myself and, you know, like I actually did meet a lot of people on that tour. It's funny. Like, cause it was like dropkick Murphy's were on that tour, you know? So I met Al Barr and, and he was always super kind to me. And we just got to, you know, we just did a whole tour opening up for dropkick Murphy's last year. So right. And it's just so funny, you know, to all these guys that I met along the way to see the interrupters now that are like, just like our big, huge supporters of us. And, and it's so awesome. But yeah, it was, dude, it was just as wild as you would think it was because like, again, <laughs> like I felt like in, and this is, might sound weird, but I just felt like I didn't belong and not in like a bad way in that way of like, I have been watching all of these bands my whole life. Like, <laughs> should be on the other side of the barricade. I shouldn't be on this side of the barricade. And then, you know, it really, it was a big confidence booster to like get that kind of validation from, you know, you know, Tim and even Travis and just all the transplants and Rob and all those guys of like, no, you're in our band and you're our keyboard dude. And like that, that was very validating for me as a musician to be like, you know what? I can make a life for myself doing this. I think your guys band should be a movie. Like it's, it's amazing. <laughs> like your journeys are like these, like very, uh, I don't know, like cinematic journeys, you know, like Amy, like going to LA by yourself and kind of like having to like carve out your career on your own or like, you know, Kevin getting like the, the dream after high school summer job of winding up in your favorite band on, and on the warp tour, like, you know, like both of those are, are movies I'd watch. Oh, oh dude, that's so funny. You say that. Cause when we were just working on our last record, um, we're in the studio with Tim, like eating lunch or something. And Amy, you were telling the story about like your karaoke when you were a kid and Tim goes, this should be the first scene of your movie. But yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, so the other city in Montana that I lived in is Billings. And mm -hmm. it's um, uh, when I was in um, seventh grade, seventh grade, I, um, I moved from Missoula. Like I grew up in Missoula and then I moved, I was put into a foster home. <laughs> and then um, my dad, like I didn't really know my dad that well. Long story short, I moved in with him in like eight hours away in in, uh, in Billings, Montana, and then there I was put into Catholic school, and I didn't have any friends and I didn't know anybody, and it was really weird. But <laughs> I did, and you know what? That's actually all of the all of the um, all of the mu music music. It, it, it was always like my my best friend, like all of my different. All the different uh, bands like became like everything to me because I just felt so alone ever when and when I wasn't listening to music. But I digress. So, um, my dad would make me go um, for like basically like uh, like was it called uh, allowance money? <laughs> uh, make me go down to the bar, the local bar, and sing karaoke songs his friends and um like they would like request songs and like i'd have to like sing them 
And then like, but while I'm singing the song, my dad's a football coach. Mm-hmm. And, um, while I'm singing the songs, he's just like yelling at me, like sing harder, like put your, you know, put it like guts into it. Like we can't hear you in the back. Like he would like yell at people for talking and like, he would just be like, you got to sing it like you mean it. Like the whole time he, I'm singing, but coach, he's like coaching me, like how to like sing to these like drunk people, you know? Yeah. Um, it was a big part of, um, like my high school years and middle school years is like singing karaoke for in the smoke filled bars in, in Montana. And, um, to this day when I am on stage, I hear my dad yelling at me, <laughs> they can't hear you in the back, you know, put like, put your guts into it. So I can only imagine the pressure that must've been to deal with as a, as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I, it was just like a lot of like smoke and whiskey and you know being like you know i've been i feel like i've been singing in bars for like my whole life so i i got that down for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well this you're tim's right and you know and i'm i'm glad that i think uh, in the same way as tim on something because i think this is definitely the opening scene in your movie <laughs> and i think i think it'd be great to jump between the two because there's one that's very serious and and very like dire like music is the only way out type thing and then there's yeah. like you know the uh american pie of of uh of road rock and roll movies happening on the other side oh, yeah but you should direct it this is this yeah. no i'm i'm believe me, i'm just the one who's seeing this thing I, I would love we should we should work on this this is after we'll talk yeah. about this whole thing afterwards but yeah this, <laughs> this is a, we got a great movie here we got a great future movie <laughs> or two i should say um so when you when you do finally connect as as musicians, like you know when you get this like offer you can't refuse placed at your feet, basically, is it at that point that you realize like this is the band that's going to do it, and and this is where we should put all our energy type thing? We I think we definitely decided to put all our energy into this band, and you know. How, we thinking five years ahead and all that. We never did any of that. We yeah. were just made a record and then um you know rancid went on tour with the transplants and um they needed a, an opening band for the west coast leg and that was our first like real tour we got offered you know we played local shows around here but we'd never been on tour so like getting to you know go on tour with them that was kind of an eye-opening thing of like wow like you know like a couple people bought the seven inch tonight a couple people <laughs> bought t-shirts and like you know uh, we didn't have the record out. The record wasn't out. We had two. We we pressed up two seven inches before the record came out, and we were just so we would basically take everything just as it came, and it never became this like five year plan or ten year plan. You know, mm-hmm. we never like we, we just right out of the gates. It was just the four of us, and then our friend Nick, who, who Amy was talking about earlier, that uh, <laughs> introduced her to punk rock in high school. It's so funny because he ended up being the dude that like when we needed our dude like you know it's the four of us right and then we need our homie that's gonna help us by driving selling the merch and just keeping you know the vibe good and just being like our 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 road dog and we called nick to do it because you know amy likes to say she nick introduced her to rancid and then she introduced him to rancid (laughs) (laughs) you know and uh yeah so it was just but it was just it was just the five of us and then we would just go on tour take each tour as it comes and it never was this like long game plan and then you know we made the second record but we just knew we loved to do it you know yeah mm-hmm. it was always it was, and always it was about the happiest that. i've ever been in my musical journey mm-hmm. you know 
I feel like I found my home. So to me, it was like, I don't really care, like, if we have to struggle. As long as we're, we're in it together, like, as long as we got each other, like, we're good. Like, we, we're good. It doesn't even matter. Like, like, nothing matters as long as we got each other, you know, and we, and we can just keep making music and we'll get by. Yeah. And it was, and so it was happy. That's the other great thing about us, like, just having that kind of like common goal in mind of just like, this is the thing, you know, like, we don't know where it's going to lead, but we do know this at the end of the tour, we're going to take whatever money we made from t-shirts and we're going to split it four ways. And then hopefully that'll be enough for everyone to pay your phone bill and whatever, you know, whatever else you got. Like, so it was, it was, you know, we, we got lucky with some, with some tour opportunities that we definitely like the, the kids in us that grew up, like listening to these bands and then getting offered to go on tour with them. Like you could never pass up. We always made it work no matter what we had to do. So, you know, I, I know just from experience and, and Amy, maybe this is also from being a front person, like, you know, these tours are getting these tours is one thing, but then playing to the crowds that are coming to see a specific band, um, you know, and I imagine Rancid especially would have a fairly diehard kind of audience. What was it like, you know, now you're obviously established, but in the early days, kind of endearing yourself to, uh, to, um, you know, this audience or trying to like, trying to find where you fit in with this audience. Well, you know, when we first, when we first went on tour with Rancid and the transplants and we hadn't had the record out, we had a couple of seven inches. I was absolutely terrified yeah. to go out on that stage. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't blame you at all. <laughs> Like I just is so I had so much anxiety and then um and uh and uh you know uh like I got on I got on on stage and it turns out that Rancid fans are the sweetest people on the planet like they were so welcoming to us and so kind and felt like they treated us like family like like it was it was um I was. Yeah, it was crazy. We we would get like a circle pit like by the third song and we'd be like, they've even heard us before and they're yeah, doing a circle pit right yeah, now. Yeah, like people you know? are crowd surfing and this is like, they've never even seen us before. Like, it was so fun. And yeah. um, it was, I mean, get, don't get me wrong. Like, I never was not nervous, but yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> so happy that, you know, that people weren't throwing things at me and like, you know. Well, I was going to say, you, you've probably come up pretty hard at this point. You've opened for Sugar Ray and then also, like, you know, what you're saying about your early formative years as a vocalist. Like, you know, I imagine you played in front of your fair share of, like, hostile crowds, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, we, yeah, that comes with the territory and, you know. Uh, but I will say, out of, you know, they're, like, the punk rock community... I mean, it's been so welcoming to us. Like, the from Dropkick Murphy fans... Um, rancid green day green day fans are like so nice so sweet mm -hmm. um one of the scarier ones i think for us was we on when our first record came out we did like a tour with less than jake which we knew there was going to be a happy fun you know ska time yeah and ended on the east coast and then we met up with seven seconds oh and yeah we toured with seven seconds all the way back to the west coast and we were like, what are Seven Seconds fans going to think of us, you know? Because yeah. it's it's a little bit of a different vibe. So we started playing these shows, and then it turns out their fans were awesome, too. Their fans were sweet, too. Yeah, because they just <laughs> came, you know, everyone's just, you know, that's your night out, and you're you're just going to, like, enjoy music and, like, put your arm around your buddy and, and you know, push push your friend into the pit, and then that, that, that was it. So it didn't matter, like, 
every time we were intimidated, we were always like proven so wrong. We're like, yeah. oh, actually, that was like just fine. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and I so. guess like when you go out, like who wants to see two bands that sound the exact same on the bill? Like you want them to sound different. Like I think it it makes for uh, it makes for each band seeming more special that way. Yeah, totally. I I am a big believer of that as well. Yeah, we've been we've been really lucky to 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 have um we have we have we have the best fans and like the punk rock community has really embraced us and the and the fans have been so awesome to us so yeah are there like because you, you know you like you you've both you know, both were on a record with Jimmy fucking Cliff like are there any mountains left to climb you think as far <laughs> as music go like any other heroes to to tour with at this point. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, there always, there always is. And, you know, we have checked off so many boxes on the bucket list and and it's pretty, it's pretty insane to think about. And we're so grateful for that. And, yeah. you know, get to go so many places. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And I'm, I'm sure whatever, whatever that next one big mountain is, it's, it's probably just waiting just, just beyond that other mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Never, that's the other thing is like the Green Day thing. It totally came out of the blue. Like one day I was actually, it was, we were in Indiana on the Warp Tour. I was in the breakfast line and my phone went ding and it was an email. And the, um, the subject of the email was the interrupters Green Day. And my mouth went dry and all of a sudden everything was kind of in slow motion. And I was like, wait a minute. You needed to sit down. I, and like the breakfast line at Warp Tour is like, it's long. Like I was almost to the front of the egg line where I could make my own omelet. And I still, I left. And it was like when Charlie got the golden ticket. <laughs> I like ran back to the tour bus and everyone was like still asleep. And I like woke everyone up and I'm like, Make it was Christmas morning. Yeah. You're like everyone needs to get in the front of the tour bus and sit down. I have, an, I have something to say. Yeah. And it's... <laughs> I still do that when I find out because I always find out this stuff before everyone else does. So I always like to collect them, and I'm like, "Hold on, we got to talk about something, guys." And they're like, "Is it bad? Is it bad?" Yeah, no. And then I'm like, "Green Day wants to take us on Europe <laughs> in January." It's yeah. It was like a golden. We cried so every time those things happen. It's just oh. it's it's insane, and yeah. like that was one of the we things, had a good a best time. Yeah, yeah, and and it was it was incredible. And those guys, honestly, like I mean, talk about like just a really good example of, of just good people. You know, they're all like, they treated us like family Yeah, and they like, didn't have to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They treated us so kindly and they're so sweet and their wives are so sweet. And the whole green day crew is just so like about community and family. And it just, they took us under their wing and we're just like, so grateful. We just, we like, we had the best time with them. They took us. Yeah. Where did they take us? They took us all over Europe. England, um, and Australia. then we got to go to Australia, New Zealand, and South America. South America. Holy we shit. Saw the, we saw the world with them. We're Dude, so grateful. It was intense. I mean, like, Argentina, there was 35,000 people, like, in the audience. Yeah. And, like, I had never even seen 35,000 people. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was a thing. And CJ Ramon was playing that night in Argentina. So we called him up and we're like, Dude, because the Ramones are like the Beatles in Argentina, right? They're yeah. royalty. Yeah. CJ Ramon there and we were like hey um uh if you want to come down to the show and he's like yeah i'll come down we're like oh no pressure but if you want to come up and do california sun with us uh that might be cool and he goes yeah down when he came up it was like 
I, we had left our bodies for like two yeah. and a half minutes. There was like 35,000 people going. But na na sang the guitar parts. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. They sang the guitar parts. It was awesome. Yeah, that was fun. Well, that was that's where they did the the last show, right? Like I think before the LA show, they did the final final show, where actually Tim and Tim and Lars came out and sang with them. They did that show with like fifty thousand people in Argentina. Yeah, I think so. I know that they, yeah, that, and I've seen, like, there was a documentary, I think I had it, where they were down there, and it was just like Beatlemania. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like people trying to, like, tear their clothes, like, they were, you know, it's Argentina. There's some great Argentinian punk bands, too, so, you know, something, something down, they got good taste in music. Yeah, definitely. And Green Day's always had a good point of, of cool, picking cool support bands, you know, they've always, like, right back to, like, the Riverdales and Pansy Division, when they when they first blew up, you know, like they've kind of like always brought out cool bands and seem to, you know, you know, once again, like Joan Jett have their finger on the pulse of stuff that's happening. Yeah. And we were just honored to be just in that just to be one of those bands, you know, like it, it's it was really cool because it was just us and them on all the shows. There was it was like a two band bill. So, yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, I've kept you both for quite some time now, and I hopefully uh, in the future we'll be able to sit down with you uh, both and do this in the in person. Well, well thank you yeah, so thank much you for having us. Yeah, it's been awesome talking to you. Yeah. Thank you, Amy and Kevin, for coming on the show. And you heard it right there. We will hopefully do. You know, an in-person part two in the future, you know, we got more to talk about, you know, now we're friends, but that is in the future. Speaking of future, as talked about off the top of the show today, that is right. There is a brand new fucked up record, Dose Your Dreams, on the Mighty Mighty Merge Records, a incredible label run by Mac and Laura of Superchunk, and yeah, you gotta, you gotta say that that's one of the dream labels for not just myself, but I think everyone in fucked up and to be on this label now and to be there, it feels amazing. And yeah, I'm really excited about this record. Mike wrote it. Mike, Mike did a lot of solo lifting on this one. And so it, it's cool to like kind of be able to be a passenger on the train this time a little bit. There's also a bunch of bonus release type things that are coming out, different compilations, different other bands, I don't even know about all of them. You'll you'll hear them as they drop. But uh, that is it. So next week on the show, Mike Halichuk from the band Fucked Up. Now, any of you that are familiar with our band know that this is going to be a weird one. And it is, it is a weird one. But it's a lot of fun. Uh, for people that have complained about me not doing it, turn it to punk myself, you kind of get into next week. If you put my parents' episodes... And this episode together, you got the Damien Turnout of Punk. You know, there's really, well, the unreleased Tristan Abraham episode would also kind of add to that picture. But between, you know, the Mike Halichick episode and my parents' episode, you got pretty much the whole story of me in there, too. That is next week on the show. It's a fun one. It's a weird one. It's a smoke-filled room one, which is shocking enough for me. Anyway, thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. Go out there and make your own culture. Please, please, please sign your organ donor cards. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening.